You know, it's always good to see all of you, and it's good to be here. And, um, um, you know, you don't realize uh, the value of some things and, uh, until it's gone. And many times, whenever we think of um, the Christmas play, how many of you were ever in a Christmas play in church? Yeah, all right. And the rest of you, you have the privilege of seeing it. But you know what? I think that our children have an advantage um, because Christmas plays are about being able to be up here in front of individuals. And one of the, one of the um, characteristics of, you know, like when they go to college or go on to any other profession is being able to talk and to be in front of people. And that's why church children have an advantage because they have lessons that they've learned, they have things that they recite and they memorize in Sunday school lessons, they hear about Jesus Christ, they hear about their faith and God's love for them, and you know when people are loved, they, real, they have an understanding that they are safe. Now, not only do we do that as, hopefully do that as parents and grandparents, that we love our children, and in that place of security they are able to explore and explore life. And then you add to that the love of God. And you add to that friendships and and people of like precious faith that that share this, this, this communion with God and how much that enables and, and enables a child to grow and nurture their own desires and the, and the desires in their life and to be in front of people doesn't become something strange. You shouldn't be in college in a uh, speech class doing your first presentation in public. You know, I remember, I remember in uh, one of our communication classes that I was at in, in college that standing up in front of the group, which was only about 28 or 30 students, you know, fellow students in the class, some of them, that was the first time they'd ever been in front of a group of people. And I I looked at them and I thought, well, don't you go to church? (laughs) Weren't you ever in a Christmas play? And, and, And the idea is that we have a lot of things that God nurtures in our life by being in church and by being here. We, we find a nurturing for our own life, and, and no matter where we are at in our, in our relationship um, with, with one another, no matter where we are at in our relationship with God, we find a nurturing. One of the great mistakes of our society, and often of, of adults, is to think that Christmas is for children. Well, if you think about it, don't you say, well, Christmas is about children. No, Christmas is about Christ. And when Christ has come, and the emphasis about, is about Jesus Christ, and we know I'm just referring to here the stable and, and the birth of Christ, that, that Christmas is about Christ. And no matter what age we are, Christ, the incarnation, God becoming man, and coming to be like us so that we could become like him, never grows old. And it is something that we, as individuals, come back to the manger and the birth of Christ. This is a celebration that I have been fortunate to be part of since I was born. 
I was in church the, the two weeks after, maybe one week after I was born, and I've been in church all of my life. I've been in Christmas plays. I've been in, you know, standing in front of people and rehearsing. And, and they even had me in a choir once, but they never asked me back. But, uh, but, you know, that's part of our growth and part of our development. The greatest times I remember as a teenager was the Christmas time and the plays and the things we did at church. And, you know, you know, going and getting and having the live nativity scene. And, you know, I, I know I said this other years that we used to, we had the, we had the truck and we were at the farm and we had the racks and we brought the donkey. <laughs> Found a donkey and we, you know, when a live nativity scene, you had a donkey. And we had it in front of the church and, you know, went on, um, you know, each, you know, three or four nights before, before Christmas. But the idea is that as we look at Christmas... We think of it and must think of it as the incarnation, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That Christmas uh, is something that more than identifies with children. Most of, you know, in our society, Christmas is something that revolves, you know, around kids and, you know, the, the, the guy with, the, you know, the beard. But Christmas is more than, <laughs> Christmas is more than that. Christmas is about Christ. And what does Jesus mean to us? You know, if you go back and, and read the Christmas story, which the children did, and Jan and, and, and them read this morning, and Glenda read, that Jesus has come and he was born. You know, we can recite the story that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and, they, and everyone had to go to their home city. And it was that most... Um, Joseph and Mary had to leave where they were at and get to Bethlehem. And why was it so important for Jesus to be born in a stable? And remember now, a stable is, you know, most of the time we have them as these little barns. Well, the, the stable that Jesus would have been born in was a cave and was a kind of a, probably an indentation in the rocks uh, in Bethlehem, they have two churches built over this, this cave. And that uh, you go down under in, in the basement of, the, of these churches, and when you go down in the basement of these churches, you see this, this rocks coming out in a very shallow indentation in the rocks, and there um, they have a place where they say was the birth of Christ. And then directly on the other side of the wall is another church that they have, the, the rest of the cave. <laughs> and so there are two churches that have the cave. And, 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 you know, and, and each year, one church gives the baby back to the other one <laughs> so that Jesus can be born on that side of the cave or this side of the cave. <laughs> Just one of those things. If you ever go to Israel, it's there. All right, but it's, it's a cave, and it's probably, um, the length of the cave is probably from here to that wall, and it's only about 10 or 15 feet deep, it isn't like it's a cave that goes back for 30 feet. It's a cave that goes back underneath the, the rocks for about 10 or 15 feet. And it's in this shallow cave that they considered it a stable. And the stable was something where the animals could get in out of the weather. And so Mary and Joseph, when they arrived at Bethlehem, there was no place for them to stay in the inn. Now, in, in, again, in those times... The inn would have not been one, one or two people in a room. <laughs> the inn would have been whoever could lay on the floor. 
And if you, you know, wanted in off the, uh, didn't want to sleep out under the stars, you know, the, the innkeeper would charge you and you go in and you lay on the floor. And you would lay around in, in this, this, this small place and that was the inn. Well, there wasn't even enough room on the floor for Mary and Joseph. And so Mary, was, they were taken to this cave and there was this place. And again, um, if you don't have a lot of straw, and you don't have a lot of hay, you know, a, 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 a cave becomes a very smelly place. You know, I wouldn't, I, you know, maybe I would lay down in a stall in our barn after I had put down a bunch of straw, but certainly I would never lay down at the end of the day in a cave or in, in, a, in, a, in a pen. But also, where Jesus was born was probably where he was born and where he was laid in the manger, in the back of the cave, they would have hewed out a trough made of stone. Not made of wood, made of stone. And it would have been in there, and it would have been that place where they would put the feed for the animals, and that's where they would have eaten in the back of the cave. And Mary and Joseph had their baby, and Jesus was born in this cave, this stable, and he was placed in a trough. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Swaddling clothes are strips of rags. So Mary and Joseph are so poor, and they have been on a journey. They didn't have... How many, whenever you pack, take at least two suitcases? <laughs> you don't pack, okay. Okay. Uh, you should see when Rachel and Rich and Jack and, you know, and, and, and Maddie come to our house, it is a continual process of carrying bags, not bags. Rachel doesn't put them in suitcases anymore. She puts them in laundry baskets. And so she brings, there's like two or three laundry baskets and they come for two days, you know, plus suitcases and other things. So they will come for, you know, two days a weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and they will bring at least two or three laundry baskets, and they will bring at least two, maybe two suitcases, and plus some special things that Rachel has for her. Now, Mary and Joseph are coming five, four or five day journey to Jerusalem on a donkey, and they have, they don't have enough that when their baby is born, they have to take strips of rags and wrap their baby in him, wrap their baby in these strips of rags and lay him in a feed trough. Why would God be born in a stable and laid in a feed trough? So that no one could ever feel God was above them. That God didn't love them and consider them of such value that he would give up the splendor of heaven and the splendor of all creation. He who created all things, spoke them into existence, did not consider these things of value to the point that he would come and be born in a, main, in a, in a, in a cave and laid in a feed trough. The poorest of the poor, no one will ever be able to say God was above me. I thought of, re, of relationship with God as something too far above me. When Jesus came, there is the incarnation, God with us. 
there is the crucifixion, God's death for us. The resurrection, God preparing a way for us that we can be with him. And Christ is coming again. He is coming again. The purpose of Christ's first coming is so that he would come and he would die for our sins, that we would, our sins, and in the Sunday school lesson this morning, Steph did a wonderful job and she spoke about sin as being, where are you at, Steph? She's downstairs. What was it? What was sin considered? That opposing God, opposition to God. Sin, the definition of sin is opposing God. And we think about it, the law, if the law, the scripture says that the law was given so that we would have an idea of what sin is. You know, the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't kill, don't bear false witness, don't lie. You know, we would look at that and so we'd say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a sinful person. I'm not, a, I'm not breaking the commandments of God. But you see, sometimes, you know, the, the, in, one of, in the confessions it says, if I have sinned in thought, word, or deed... Opposition to God. How many times have we opposed God in our thoughts about ourselves? I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. God would never be interested in me. God doesn't love me. I've done too many things wrong. Um, You know, on and on and on we could go. Those thoughts are in opposition to God. And they are sins that keep us from our relationship with him. (laughs) Our thoughts would be in opposition to God because God's word says he loves us, that he came and he died for us, and that he rose from the dead, and he rose that he might that we, he would become the first fruits of them that slept, meaning that we all are partakers in this resurrection. And that we have a part in the kingdom of God. And that we are not beneath him. And that we are not beyond his ability to reach. And that he has a place and a purpose for us in this life. And he has a will for us. And he he wants to walk with us and be our friend. And so the sins of our life, we would look and say, we would try to name uh, things like stealing and, and, you know, killing and, you know, you know, all those other things, you know, breaking the commandments. And God says, no, it's more than that. That we, our thoughts would be towards him. Because how many are God's thoughts towards us? The scripture says, and the sum of them can't even be numbered. God's thoughts towards you are so many. And guess what? He's never had one bad thought about you. Never one bad thought about you. And he never has had one impossible situation that he's presented in your life. So, this babe in the manger, Christmas is not about children. Christmas is about the child in every one of us. It's about children. But it's about every one of us recognizing the value of a child who loves us. A child born in a manger, God incarnate, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God 
with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God with me. That is the message of Christmas. And it isn't just for children. It's for every one of us. God is with me. Say it. God is with me. Emmanuel. And that's about, that's, God is with me. That's the Christmas story. God is with me. Amen?